Founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. Are you feeling stuck with your gun dog training? Trust me, you're not alone, and that's exactly why you need to be here. Every week, we bring you the best tips and hacks to make training your gun dog easy peasy. We'll keep it straightforward, no fuss, just actionable guidance that you can put straight to use. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Found It, Fetched It. This week, we are going to be talking to Sarah Drake, our regional organizer up in the north all about her journey within LWDG. Sarah's got loads to tell us about how she got from where she was to where she is now. But before we begin, let's say a big hello to Sarah. How are you today, Sarah? Hi, Joe. I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you because we've like developed like this big friendship alongside um, your journey within the LWDG. But when we were just talking before we even started on this uh, recording, I was thinking, well, how did that happen? How did Sarah and I become friends? So let's start right at the beginning, before LWDG. What was your sort of uh, relationship with Gundogs? So it, I suppose it's been in my life from the very beginning. My dad, when he was a teenager, maybe 15 or 16, um, he were, lived on a farm, worked on the farm, and wanted his own gun dog. So along came a Labrador called Sally. And then from then, he's just stayed with always having Labradors throughout his life, always been quite into his shooting. And from getting Sally, my grandma also got involved in gun dogs. She saw Sally, she was amazing. My grandma said, I want to do that too. So my that kind of started the love um, for my grandma as well. So she's always had black Labradors. Um, she worked them, bred them, competed them, you name it. She She's done it all um, for yeah over 40 years. So when I was born, it was already happening and had been happening for ages in the background. So literally, I think, um, yeah, I came along and and that was it. So at the time, we didn't have any dogs, but my grandma always had them. So I always remember being really little, going around to see my grandma was my favourite thing to do because there was always a pile of Labradors in front of the fireplace. Um, then when I was about 11, we got our first Labrador, who was called Pippa, and um, she really initiated uh, me into the gun dog world. So my dad began training her and he sometimes would get up and take her out shooting and I would always be really mad and I woke up later and I'd been left behind so he started taking me with him <laughs> and um, it and it kind of it went from there really so it was always following my dad wherever he was going training shooting whatever he was doing I wanted to be doing it as well that's fab. I didn't even know like the relationship your gran had. So she was like one of the true pioneers of like women outworking dogs. And for you to be born into that, did it ever occur to you that it was difficult for women to do it because you'd always seen your gran doing it? To be honest, no. 
I don't think I'd ever really thought about it because any time that I went to competitions or I went out shooting, she was there and everyone knew her and she knew everyone. And she was obviously quite well respected. You know, people would come up and say, hello, Doreen, how are you? They all knew her by name. And so it didn't even occur in my very young mind, I suppose, that that was an unusual thing so so no i suppose it was only when i was much older that i realized actually and if you look back on the uh, photos from the time the few photos that exist it's her surrounded by lots of men and dogs send me a copy and i'll add into the show notes if people want to see the photos of your gran we will uh we'll give her the the space she deserves because like i said she is one of those ladies who went out there and did it when it was probably far more like frowned upon but she really was unusual out doing it back then, wasn't she? Absolutely, yeah. And she would love the LWDG as well because she was such a she's such a strong-willed woman. <laughs> Anyone who knows her knows you're not going to mess with her. So it, she definitely kind of helped pave the way, I think. So you're there and you've been around these dogs all your life. You've got your, your new dog. Where did it become that you had a dog of your own or was there some other part of the journey? Because teenage years can be that we've fallen in love with like ideas and groups and things we do. So what was your journey sort of from like 11 to just before you met us? So it was very much based around Pippa to start with and took her out picking up, took her competing. I did lots of junior tests um and then also started competing against adults so even when i was 15 taking us called game tests all sorts of things i loved doing it and i was always really welcomed into the space i think you know it's really obvious isn't it people now it, everyone's trying to get young handlers in um, young shots across the whole hunting shooting fishing there's such a focus on on getting young people in and even from my my own experience, even back then, we're talking 15 years ago, people were so welcoming and really encouraging, giving me advice, giving me tips, people inviting me to come and handle their dog, which was, you know, maybe a different kettle of fish. We all know that some dogs are, are kind of more biddable, some are a lot sharper. So I had so many lovely interactions with people that kind of kept me going, I suppose, through all those kind of teenage years. At the same time, my grandma had um, Pippa's direct sibling. She had his her brother. And so I also did some tests with him. And so it was, it was nice to have two different dogs. Then as Pippa was kind of aging out, we got another dog, another yellow Labrador, Ebby, who I still have today. Um, she must be 11 now, 11, 12. So she kind of came in and unfortunately probably came in at the wrong time, really. I was about 15, 16 and going into exams, GCSE exams, start, kind of my focus in life was changing a little bit, wanted to hang out with my friends a lot more. And so Ebby had been kind of bought for me, but then actually I didn't really do that much with her. And it's a real shame. When I look back now, I think that was such a shame. She's a lovely dog. She's really sweet. And, you know, still got her now. She's she's great. But I didn't put in the effort and the time, stopped going competing, didn't, didn't go shooting or anything for quite an extended period of time. After that, my grandma also, she rehomed a one-year-old Labrador called Skye, who we've got still, um, who will be 
eight now. So there was always kind of additional dogs kind of coming through, but it was very much from like a pet basis. I wasn't doing any gun dog work with them really. And uh, and then and then yeah, I kind of I went off into the world of work, did my uni degree part time whilst I was working, and they were just pets really. And then when I was twenty, how old would I have been? <laughs> twenty two, I. I could feel myself kind of missing it and seeing lots of things on social media and all that sort of things. And I'm wishing that I could do it with Ebby and couldn't because she hadn't been, she hadn't ever gone down that path for such a long time. And so that's when I thought, right, I'm going to get a dog. And for my sins, I decided to get a working cocker. Well, like, even if we look at that section in life, like, I went, at the time I didn't have dogs, I had horses. So when I was going to the same age, range as you're talking about I went from having three horses that I was competing all the time to I couldn't be bothered to look at them and it's such a dreadful thing to say and my dad was like choose you choose the horses or you choose going out with your friends but you've got to choose and I cho- chose when I'm going out with my friends and I suppose when we're trying to bring young handlers in it's great when they're young and they don't have those same desires I suppose and then we hit this sort of bracket where we where we lose people don't we we lose teenagers because other things get in the way absolutely i'm such an example of that when you go back and you think why why did i do that but then i think it's such a normal experience that so many people go through they have that such keen interest in something it might not even be gun dogs like you say it might be horses it might be another sport anything like that people are so committed to it and love it so much and then all of a sudden it just drops off into thin air and then later in life, we come back to it. So coming back to your cocker, what made you decide to like go against the Labrador grain? So uh, insanity, maybe. I don't know. So yeah, so obviously we'd always had Labradors and I love my Labradors, but I fancied a change. And at, at the time I was, I actually had a partner and he liked to do lots of rush shooting, you know, just going out with the gun, walking around, shooting things rabbits kind of woodcock pheasant all that sort of stuff so a spaniel seemed to suit that more than a labrador and he kind of wanted one and i thought well i want a dog but i don't really mind what i get so that was how juno came about it was more so through him than it was through me but she was my dog and we didn't even live together so she was very much my dog i paid for her she's mine on paper she's still with me today but really came from him so again, it's it's something else that I look back on and I think, what was I doing? <laughs> who who let me make that decision? But I'm so grateful in so many ways because Juno has really accelerated things for me. My passion for dog training, for gun dogs. I wouldn't be in the LWDG without her. So I'm so grateful that I made that decision to go to the dark side and go to a spaniel. It is an absolute darling of a dog, though, isn't she? So when you first had her and you were doing the stuff, you had to, like, remember what you would be had been doing years and years ago, and, and that's a learning curve for everyone. But was your plan to, like, just use her for rough shooting or were you going to, like, go back to doing tests with her? Did you have a plan with it? Joe, there was no plan at all, honestly. It was it was very spur-of-the-moment decision, I think, and probably because of that, the lack of planning, I suppose, on my part, 
and the lack of direction because I was only just coming back in to the whole world I didn't really know what I wanted I didn't know what I wanted to do with the dog or myself I didn't know where I would end up and so it yeah it was a bit haphazard to start with it you, you know it's a lot easier if you've got a a strict direction that you're going in you know you want to go and compete this dog you know you only want to go out beating with this dog it's so much easier because you can tailor all of your training to that one thing and really focus on it you can put in all of the steps and the time and I didn't have that I didn't have that end goal so it was it was a little bit random I did lots of different things with her to almost kind of try and see what I liked because like you say it was such a long time ago that I'd actually been in this world I didn't even really know what I enjoyed anymore I didn't know if I liked doing tests anymore maybe as I've got older I'm really nervous I didn't I didn't know I had no clue and I also didn't know what she would like to do either so we did all sorts did lots of retrieving with her did some hunting with her had her out um at our local shoot we went and watched she did some picking up she did some beating it was she just did everything it was all encompassing but now I kind of with hindsight you think because now I have a direction for her four years later I think you know going back I wouldn't I wouldn't have kind of tried trialed it all because I know where I want to go but without trialing it all I maybe wouldn't have found the direction that I do want to go in so you you've got you know you're trying to see if you fit back in this world how did you find it going back in? Did people's behaviour towards you change? Were they sailors welcoming as you as they were when you were little? So the people that I knew in real life, yes, very much so. Um, I went back to the same shoot that I'd been on years ago. Um, people were delighted to see me and it was really lovely to kind of just walk straight back into that life. But in that time things had moved on so much in the wider world that it was a totally different space. Like even things like technology, groups like the LWDG, all these types of things had advanced so much. Facebook groups, all that type of thing just didn't exist when I was younger or at least didn't exist to me because I was so young. Whereas now there's this whole new world. And I think it was... A, a little bit a bit overwhelming kind of to to come in and not really know where you sat and you know again going back to not knowing what I wanted to do which group do I actually sit in where do I want to be it was quite overwhelming and I suppose again it was a lot of trial and error um joining different groups watching different people different videos to see what I what I thought and where I felt was right for me now at this kind of older age. So you started off with us in our open community, which is our free section. There's like eight, eight and a half thousand women now float around that free section. What was it? Or like, how did you even find us? I don't know. It was four years ago. I can't remember. <laughs> but I think it, it would have been more of an accidental thing than an intentional thing, I suppose. It was... I was trying to, as we say, find my place, joining different groups, trying to get different advice and finding out new things. And that was kind of really, that was how I ended up in the group. I ended up in lots of different groups and I definitely liked the open community 
Um, I've always very much liked kind of female empowerment and always been about that personally, professionally. And I liked that in the dogs as well. And it was such a welcoming space where I saw that people were asking questions. They were getting answers that weren't judgmental, that weren't kind of going, oh, well, why did you even do that in the first place or anything like that? It was such a positive space, which I really didn't see in a lot of the other groups. We've been very lucky. Like what you've just like described is, is what we've worked so hard and you've been part of that journey as well the last four years. I think all the ladies in the group, like literally, I know it sounds odd, I can't talk for eight and a half thousand, but I sort of can because they all stick to the same principles we just never see nastiness in our group and people say how would you do it and I'm like actually I don't think it's something specifically that I do it's just that the rule has always been since the start if you come in you play nice that's just this it's the simplest of rules but you were part of this open community and sort of enjoying that sort of ability to ask things what where did you suddenly then decide to become like a member what what triggered that so it was the first gun dog holiday that the LWDG ran, which was up at Broad Oak in Cumbria. I saw that advertised on the open community and I just thought, right, I'll go. Why not? Because with Juno, again, I'd done so much training alone. It had all been just me and I'd trained with my other dogs and done things solo with her and followed bits of advice from the internet. But I'd never taken her to a trainer. I'd never been to group training or anything like that with her. Obviously, through the middle of it was the pandemic where a lot of things couldn't happen anyway. But I felt that I'd missed this almost crucial step in both her development and my development as a handler of when she was a younger dog to get that advice from other people have other people's eyes on me and what I was doing rather than just making decisions myself so when I saw it advertised I thought great I'm I'm just going to do it so I booked on went on the holiday it was amazing and I joined as a member we had an absolute ball on that holiday though didn't we like I like if I look back there like it was just great it, it was the same same thing that we would expect in the group we just all got on we all enjoyed each other's company like it was just it was just great and I remember like meeting you and, and meeting Juno and trying to steal her many times <laughs> but like it was such a lovely um a lovely bonding experience of 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 just setting almost setting directions well because you're right we'd just been through COVID so we didn't really know what our activities were going to look like what we wanted them to look like and then we suddenly had this like set up template for it so from that holiday before the holiday had you actually met any women in from the lwdg not a single person and since then like you're well you're probably friends with all of us and probably stronger friends with even with others even more aren't you yeah absolutely it all stemmed from from that holiday to be honest i didn't know a single soul before that holiday and since then, yeah, like you say, I've got such a network across members and the people who are kind of the, the LWGD team, but even people that I'm not even friends with on Facebook, maybe they're in the Found It, Fetched It group, but I recognise the name and I recognise the dog. So when they post updates, 
I go, oh, that's great. And I can see it and I can see their progress without even knowing them. I don't know them, never met them, never directly spoken to them, but I'm almost a silent cheerleader in the background. You're not a silent cheerleader because after the holiday, after you joined, you were like, how can I help? And you've definitely, without a doubt, got that personality. How can I help? You've been to our scary weekends that we've run for the game fair. You've literally, you're a regional organiser. You've put on amazing events up the north. You've really got involved in it in a big way, haven't you? Absolutely. And again, that, yeah, like you say, it came from the holiday. I remember so distinctly that before the weekend even started, first thing on the morning, we were all sat round on chairs without our dogs. And we went round and said, right, who are you? Where are you from? What do you want from this holiday? What are you hoping to learn? All that kind of thing. And I remember that every single person there went, I'm really nervous. I'm really scared my dog's going to be horrible. My dog's going to run off. My dog's going to do this. I might not be good enough. I remember it so vividly because I was the only person who said, oh, I'm not nervous. I was like, I'm here for a great time. <laughs> I know I'm going to have a really good time. And it's not because I'm the best handler in the world. I'm the best dog owner in the world. That my dog's amazing. It wasn't to do with that. It's just me naturally as a person. I've maybe got a lot more confidence as then then quite a lot of the women in the group and that I just have more of an attitude of eh, it's fine it doesn't matter it, no one's going to die the world isn't going to implode it's fine and it'll it'll be okay but seeing it so obviously in front of me all these women who were so scared even being just surrounded by women in similar in a similar space were were terrified to be there and had such massive imposter syndrome that felt like they didn't even deserve to be sat in that seat even though they paid for and traveled to the venue and that for me was really really eye-opening because despite everything in my whole journey I hadn't ever felt like that and so I just thought if I don't feel like that but everyone or a lot of people do I can help change that I can be part of the solution for these people. So that's why I said, Joe, how can I help? How can I be involved? You know, as you're talking about it, like you can see me, people listening, can't, I'm, I'm tearing up because literally that morning, within 30 minutes, most of the people there were crying, which doesn't sound like a really great start to any holiday. But you are right. It was this like, this release of, we are all nervous within this. And like, I sort of come at it from, a different direction too in the fact that I I was as scared as all those women when I started and sometimes I still do feel nervous and your energy around it you're like come on we can do this it was brilliant it added to the event like the other experts that sort of like big smile come on we're doing this it was it was so energizing so was part of that the catalyst to what you've started recently yeah definitely getting involved with the lwdg has has been great for so many reasons but it has also really helped and pushed me to take the step into doing professional dog training it's always been something that i've wanted to do so even when i was younger um, if you'd have asked me when i was 11 what do you want to do as a job i'd have said anything that's not in an office and what did I leave school and do? 
I went and worked in an office. <laughs> so for a really long time, although I've always enjoyed my professional career, it's not sat with me as a passion and something that I want to do for the rest of my life. And always felt like there was something kind of missing. And for quite a few years, maybe since I've had Juno, I thought, actually, I could do this. I could do dog training as a profession. But LWDG really helped push me to take that step because I saw, like, in, in that example on Facebook, on the events, all of these women who so desperately needed good trainers that understood them, that weren't going to go, oh, come on, just get on with it, and were going to be sympathetic and empathize but also give them a solution that would get them to progress it i just thought yeah i can do that that's my calling in life <laughs> tell us about your your dog training you are a professional dog trainer tell us all about that so yes yeah, so my business is called hollandale working dogs and i'm based in the north leeds bradford area it's called hollandale working dogs because my passion <laughs> is working breeds or kind of high the high drive high energy breeds the the breeds that people tend to struggle with when they're out in the world they get them because they're family pets and they want to go for nice family walks but then actually they've got this working breed that actually needs more or at least a certain direction in their training Having said that, I'm not a breedist. I do welcome all breeds as clients and I love working with different types of dogs because I think it really helps you as a trainer to progress um, because all dogs are different. So, but that is my that is my true passion of other working type breeds. So I do all sorts of pet training. I run puppy classes, I run general obedience classes. I do lots of one-to-one -one training as well. Um, but I do also do some behaviour work as well. So you are our regional organiser for the North. You've put on quite a lot of events. And next year you step in more into a, a trainer role as well and, and doing some training up the North for us as well. Are you excited about that to be like training more of our of our people so excited it, honestly you can't see if you're listening but i'm beaming at the thought of it <laughs> it's just it's such a nice community to be a part of and any step that i can take to be more involved in it just lights me up i just love doing it i love training anyone but women and like female empowerment is just got such a close space in my in my heart so the lwdg is really exciting for doing that the reason, like, why I sort of, like, not dragged you, you didn't need dragging, but I said, come on, come on, do a podcast about this, because you have loads of confidence in yourself and loads of confidence um, uh, in, like, your abilities. You're not good, as we all aren't, at pushing yourself forward in business here. You don't, and, and I think that's part of, you're not the only person in our group who's gone over years and years, started out, they started one place and they've ended up with their own businesses working jobs. And it's, that for me is, is amazing to see. Everyone's journey is amazing. But when I see brilliant, brilliant handlers, brilliant trainers of their own dogs going on to do it as at a professional level, that really does light me up. Because I know they'll go out and they'll be the person you've just said. They'll be the person who understands the journey because they've just been on that journey. And I don't think anything can teach you to be a coach of a journey if you haven't been on it yourself. So I think it's a fascinating and amazing way you will go in. But how do you think, like, for you, now ending up with a business, how does life feel different to, like, 
when it was just you and your dog? So different, in in good, really good ways, but in some scary ways as well. Obviously, there's kind of more pressure um, to have this perfect dog, but I'm trying to not put that on myself. I know that some people can have that as an outside perspective, but anyone who works with dogs and anyone who's had dogs for many years will know that they are all different and they all have different needs and that you can't put them into this space if they don't want to be there. If they need more time focusing on one element rather than another, then it's just going to look a little bit worse from an outside perspective for a while. So trying uh, to kind of push my dogs and improve my dogs, but without putting that massive expectation on them to be perfect, it's been quite challenging. But um, I'm loving the difference. I feel that when I go out and work my dogs or whether I'm out walking my dogs or anything, training people, um, it's it's just it's just so positive. I just feel like I'm enjoying the time so much more and I'm enjoying being with my own dogs more because I know that I'm getting to help people with theirs just through what I'm doing. Even if I'm out on a walk and I record a little snippet of a video and then I can go to my clients and say, have you tried doing this on your walks? And they go, oh, no, I haven't. I'm going to do that tomorrow. That's great. That was just me on my normal day-to-day walk. I didn't even do anything, you know, that exciting. But it's helped someone, and I love that feeling. It's it's really, really nice. You did, um, la- was it last year you went and did uh, Celebrity Trainer Rob Lane's course? Uh, yes, it was October last year. And what did you get with that? Because I've done that course and I absolutely loved it. Like, it, it's not in my future to be a dog, a professional dog trainer. I love what I do with the LWDG and I have no intention of changing that. But I can definitely see how that course could be um, a beneficial. What did you get out of it? Oh, so much. I've done all sorts of different courses um, because when I decided that I wanted to do this, I felt, okay, I, I do want to kind of get some qualifications as well. I do want to continuously develop myself and make sure that I'm up to date with knowledge and I'm pushing myself to learn more. So I've done all sorts of different things. Um, but that course in particular really gave me the kick up the bum that I needed to take the step into doing it professionally. I was on that point where I was ready, but I hadn't taken the step. And the course just it solidified everything that I already knew whilst I was learning new things and I think because it's a five-day residential you're there with other people like-minded people it's such a intense learning period as you well know um that it was yeah it was really eye-opening I went home with notepads full of information and um but yeah I came I came away from that thinking feeling really inspired and thinking you can actually do this was it that that made you think I I want to do behavioral work as well yeah absolutely that was that was a real a push down the behavior route definitely yeah what does sort of uh future look like for you in 2024 and what does your family think of you now like going right I'm reinventing myself. I'm going to be a professional dog trainer. So my family is very supportive. I think they're they're liking it because I get to train their dogs. It's great, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But yeah, so no, they're very supportive. Um, The proper champions for me doing whatever I, you know, whatever I feel is right. And they've, I suppose they've always known that what I have been doing professionally hasn't been my passion. So they're just glad that I'm doing something that, 
I'm loving that I wake up in the morning and I'm excited to do rather than dragging myself to my desk. <laughs> um, but in 2024, I'm hoping, as I am still working full-time, I shouldn't I shouldn't talk about my job, should I, when I'm still working full-time, um, but I'm hopefully going to condense my hours a little bit at my work, my normal day-to-day -day job, so that I can start doing a lot more of the dog training and eventually hopefully that will take over as my main my main source of income and my main day-to-day -day tasks if you think of the journey like of the rwdg it wasn't my main job it was like it was this little thing on the side and then that little thing on the side and i think in some ways when you do make over the step over so it becomes your your sole income it's a frightening step like at the moment you live in a in a very, very busy place because you're having to do a full-time job and a really busy um, training practice. But you've got both there, haven't you? Now, I think as you're going 2024 and you step over, I think that's when you'll really be able to expand and do what you want to do. Because not because you'll be free, but because you'll be have more time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fitting everything in at the moment is quite challenging. And I don't have enough hours in the day, if I'm honest, especially at the moment during winter when I'm working my own dogs in the field. So every Saturday I'm out working them. So I can't see any clients on Saturdays. So just juggling everything is really, really difficult. And I'm looking forward to having less conflicting things to juggle and more things that are aligned with my passion. <laughs> Thank you for a, an amazing podcast. I know without even getting the feedback yeah, that the women and, and gentlemen who listen to Founder Fetcher will have loved it. But anyone wanting to get in touch with you in the Leeds Bradford area, how do they get hold of you? So through my website, through social media, Facebook, Instagram, anyway, you can call me. I will get back to you at some point. My email is sarah at hollandaleworkingdogs.co.uk. Thank you very, very much for your time. Massively appreciate it. Um, ladies who are members, Sarah is your regional organiser for the North. She's absolutely fabulous. We have so, so much coming in 2024. Amazing stuff. So you're definitely going to see her and you're definitely going to get a chance to meet up with her. Um, apart from the conference, which she's going on holiday for. I heard it, Joe. You didn't find out my schedule before you organised it, did you? <laughs> No, I thought I thought I was far enough in advance. But yeah, but yeah, we've got loads and loads coming on. Thank you very much for your time, Sarah. Massively appreciated. Oh, we can't finish this without you telling us about your new baby. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention her. That's that's not fair, is it? Um yes, yeah, so I've got a Labrador pup at the moment. She's six months old called Xena. So if you go on my social media, there is lots of photos of her. You can watch as as Xena develops. But the point you've made, I know I've I closed the podcast, I know I've opened it, but the point you made about um trainers like expecting to have perfect dogs. The other day I had this sort of light bulb moment, and then I thought, am I really late to the party having this light bulb moment? Because I was walking along with Ella and Rex and I was just, Ella was just trying to break heel. I was like, oi, like really quietly, oi. And then I thought, oh my God, I get this. My dad, it didn't, it wasn't that he didn't have to correct the dogs. We didn't um, constantly train the dogs. They weren't perfect. He just kept them in check really quickly, really calmly. So he'd be like, oi, like Rex or, or whatever. He just a little, a little murmur. And I thought experienced trainers are not, they don't have perfect dogs they are very fast to put the dog straight. And I yeah. think that's what we all we all miss. We see them, they look wonderful, it all looks amazing. And what we don't see is the tiny, tiny multiple 
corrections in the 24 hour days that they do to keep that that lot of dogs in check yeah absolutely even something simple as you've asked them to sit they start to get up and you immediately move towards them so that they sit back down something so simple that you can easily like let them get up and wander away before you're trying to get them back into position but if you're really in tune with your dog you should be able to see it before it happens i absolutely agree with you so i probably was late to that party sarah but i'm there now so we're all good (laughs) (laughs) thank you once again and thank you all for listening please leave us a review on your podcast platform if you want to see the blog that goes along with and the pictures of sarah's grant they are on www.ladiesworkingdoggroup.com forward slash free content We shall see you all next week. That's it for today's episode. A massive thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to head over to the LWDG and sign up for our membership. Get access to expert-led training, a wonderfully supportive community, and the resources you need to become a confident and skilled gun dog trainer. Let's take this journey together, because no woman should have to train her gun dog alone. We'll see you all next week.